Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces, and welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. Today in this podcast, we're going to discuss censorship and the God who censors. Today we'll lead off with the book of Job, chapter 40, verses 1 through 5, and as usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview. So with censorship and those who censor under the influence of the Holy Scriptures, let's just dig right in. Right. The topic of the day is censorship and the God who flat out does it. We're going to do a couple of verses here just to give you an idea of where we're headed in this matter of censorship. First, book of Job, chapter 40, the first five verses. Keep in mind the conversation here. God has come out of a storm. He's going to address Job and Job's complaints. But in the beginning, Job is described by God himself as a good and righteous person. So here we go, Job 40, 1 through 5. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further lays his hand on his mouth. That's what you call self-censoring, which is one of our main themes in this podcast. And it comes from the righteous man, Job. He manages to shut his mouth when he's confronted by the God who is. And then from one person to the entire world, the theme of censorship continues into the New Testament. Listen to this word from Paul in Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Every mouth will be stopped. Censorship of the entire world. Oh, yes, Lord, bring it to pass. Well, current event is censorship. It's use and abuse by government, by corporations, news media, internet influencers, et cetera, et cetera. You name it. Uh, You name it. To censor news are truths that they don't like, to mute certain voices, uh, to keep truth from the people. Uh, the Christian expectation is that God is the censor, and this is the expectation we need. David realized that God is the one to call upon when you have people who need to be censored. Call upon God first. Listen to this from Psalms 31, 17 and 18. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Let lying lips be mute. May they be censored, in other words, meaning that God is the one who does it effectively. And when we attempt it on our own, as we shall see, it doesn't work too well. So we need to keep that in mind. Here's a quote, uh, not that lengthy, but uh, listen up. It's from uh, PJ Media. And the writer is Stephen Green. This is from March 1st of this year. Quote, what's going on is censorship. We can't stay in denial. Clinging to the notion that what a private company chooses to promote or effectively banish is its own business because it isn't a single company. There's a cabal working hand in hand and sometimes cash and fist with the United States government and governments around the world. End of quote. Now, he goes on to say this a little later, quote, an organization in the UK called the Global Disinformation Index, 
aka GDI, reliably progressive, that produces lists of sites and articles that ought to be made unpersons. I like that word. Or at least thrown down the memory hole. GDI and groups like it all over the world are set up as nonprofits, media focus outfits, or university based think tanks that classify sites that go against the narrative. See our podcast on that. As dangerous and in need of corrective actions, end of quote. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if there is such an organization that does that because the censoring going on now, just in the last couple of years since we started these podcasts, seems to be coordinated. But in this podcast, we want to understand, number one, that God is the censor above all censors. It is not surprising that humanity from the beginning is involved in censoring because we are made in his image and he is the great censorer. However, we're a fallen image, so we don't censor what we should. Mm. Therein lies the problem. Here's a definition of censorship from Bing.com. Quote, supervision and control of the information and ideas circulated within a society. In modern times, censorship refers to the examination of media, including books, periodicals, plays, motion pictures, television and radio programs for the purpose of altering are suppressing parts thought to be offensive. In the early days of radio and television, uh, censors were employed to keep offensive words or sentiments from being aired. Uh, for example, the old I Love Lucy show, she became pregnant, but back in the early 50s, you couldn't say the word pregnant on television. I don't know why, as a kid, I always wondered about these things. <laughs> the other thing is, everybody who was married, slept in twin beds. They didn't sleep in bed together. <laughs> I remember that from uh, Leave it to Beaver. And yeah, yeah. it was curious for me as a inquisitive child, and I never discussed it with any adult, but I always think everybody I know, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, people, whoever, they all sleep in the same bed. Why, what, why, why do they? I was, it was just, it's, it's, so probably there was too much censorship in that sense that people couldn't even deal with the realities of life. But uh, today, whoa. The way the pendulum has swung in the other direction. Today, on many public outlets, offensive words and various perversions are the norm, and those who object to that are censored. Yeah, I love, uh, there's, uh, uh, on Netflix, you know, when movies come on, whatever, you know, it says, you know, you know, it's got the warning label, and it says, you know, um, strong language, sexual content, and one said smoking. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like a great evil with the yeah, other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we're going to address that. It's very curious as to what, what ends up being censored and what is seen otherwise. Um, and this is because censorship flows from the culture. Even politics is downstream from culture. Remember that. Here's the point. Cultural changes. Cultural changes generate different kinds of censorship. Now, here's the main problem with censorship. Here's a quote from a writer called Juvenal. Uh, he hailed in the first and second centuries AD. He was a Roman, wrote a book called The Sixteen Satires. And there's a great line from there. It goes this way, quote, who will watch the watchers? Ah, indeed, who will censor the censors? Who gets to decide who is exiled from the public square? Who gets to be muted and heard no more? The Christian expectation then is to see censorship from God's perspective and the practice of censorship we should have in our own lives. The first use of censorship in the Bible presents God banning two people from paradise, from easy street to the mean streets. Two who didn't watch 
as Juvenal would say, themselves. Listen to the passage, uh, probably familiar to many of you, Genesis 3, 22 uh, to 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Right. God bans, exiles, truly censors, Adam and Eve from the place where they did their uh, unfortunate talking with the uh, serpent, and uh, they get banished, exiled, or censored for their own good, so the damage they have done doesn't become permanent. That's the whole concern about lest they go forth and take hold of the tree of life. They'll be stuck in this condition. So God censors for our good. And we look to Scripture for our understanding of censorship, not to the world. In the Old Testament, a basic form of censorship was the banning of idols from Israel's life, Exodus 20, the first four verses. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Exactly. Why would they want to listen to idols since the psalmist and others constantly say they are dumb, they can't speak, though they have mouths, and they can't walk and all of that. Israel, of course, pays no attention to this policy of censorship, and they do so to their hurt. 2 Kings 17, 6 through 8. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in the Halah and on the Habor, the river Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. There you go. So they didn't practice self-censorship. Now this is a, maybe a new concept to some of us, so... Let's explore it. The Christian expectation is to censor ourselves so we can be free from ungodly influences and be open to God's word and spirit to speak the truth which God doesn't want censored. So there's a negative and a positive here. We shut up on one sense, but we open up in another. So let's look to scriptures to see how God acts as censor and how the world does it and what should be the response of the faithful. Cain is a good example of being censored, banned, exiled, because he refused to censor himself. Listen to this from Genesis 4, 1 through 7. Now Adam knew Eva's wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? 
And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Anger, Cain, has got to be banned, exiled, censored from your life. And Cain is responsible to do that. As we know, he fails, and so is banned. Now, he shuts up Abel by killing him. That's extreme form of censorship. Yeah. Well, his very presence, Cain's very presence then is censored. He's got to go. Listen to this, Genesis 4, 10 through 14. And the Lord <laughs> said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Now, keep in mind, according to the way we do things uh, in our era, uh, Cain is definitely a murderer, a murderer in the first degree, uh, premeditated. Yeah, clearly. And yet, God doesn't put capital punishment upon him. God assures him that won't happen because other people won't be able to do it as well. And it has to do with the sign, which we will pass for now. Nonetheless, he is banned, he is exiled. Later, because the culture, clearly following in the ways of Cain, has changed for the worst, as we see in Genesis chapter 6, a flood is appointed by God. And of course, we know the story, Noah and his family in the ark. Now, after the flood is over, murderers, we will see, are no longer banned or exiled like Cain, but put to death, or shall I say, to be put to death as God has ordained it. God explains it this way to Noah in Genesis 9, 5, and 6. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast, I will require it and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Right, and expositors, commentators, going back uh, clear to the beginning, uh, have understood this to refer to the establishment of, of government uh, preeminently by way of a capital punishment example mm -hmm. here. Uh, we see then that censorship does change with the culture. Before the flood, you get banned. After the flood, you're subject to capital punishment if you're a murderer. God changes the way he censors those who have so censored others. Now, the difference is this. God's censorship is righteous. Mankind's is not. Since man's censorship is always lacking accountability. Mm. And thus, 2,000 years ago, that wise guy, Juvenal, said, who watches the watchers? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So let's take a look at uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John states he's been censored, banned, exiled, being a Christian. Uh, the watchers were watching him, and they didn't like what they heard. Mm -hmm. So he got put away on Patmos. And this is, sooner or later, what all worldly censorship aims for, since Satan directs from the shadows. In one sense, life is all about censoring ourselves. Adam and Eve failed, and death came to the world. Cain failed, and Abel was murdered. 
However, not everyone is on board with self-censorship. Back in the 70s, I was at a uh, school at that time called Porter Junior High in Cincinnati. I was having a discussion the teacher's lounge with a teacher uh, there named Larry. And uh, he was, uh, we would say, I guess, on the left side of things. And we were discussing censorship, and he was questioning what I think about censorship and all that. So you see, this has been a topic around for some time. And I said to him, I said, well, the best kind of censorship is, and he looked at me expectantly for a great answer, I said, self-censorship. And he wasn't exactly... <laughs> he, was, he wasn't moved. He wasn't moved with Larry that answer. Larry was not moved. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there was my first awakening. Not everybody sees things like I do. Um, so a little research. It's interesting to find out more so today than ever. Self-censorship? Mm, people don't like that. Here's a quote from... Ai Weiwei, now that's a Chinese name. He's a Chinese artist, apparently well-known in some circles. And he says, quote, self-censorship is insulting to the self. Timidity is a hopeless way forward. Hmm. Well, I was amazed. I shouldn't have been in researching this subject on self-censorship since everyone on record sees it as a bad thing. And then I remembered, well, in the world in which we now live, censorship is viewed politically. So self-censorship is going to be viewed negatively. Uh, as in, you're not going to shut me up. I'm going to talk, 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 talk. Uh, then, of course, there's the need to deny self-censorship so the real you can be expressed. Here's one quote. Quote, what I find very attractive, what I find sexual, are people who are unapologetic for who they are and comfortable with themselves. And I think with those two things, sexual energy does come out because you're not hovering or censoring yourself. You're just being who you are, and being who you are is a very attractive quality in a person, mm. said Genghis Khan. <laughs> no, no, said, said Catherine Moaning, and that's who the quote comes from. But here again, uh, the world has little use for self-censorship. On the one hand, the world wants to express itself. On the other hand, it wants to suppress others and their words. And so the, the narrative basically is express and suppress. Suppress, you get more to express. As in, shut up, they explained. For example, the recent controversy over parents being suppressed at school board meetings when they voiced their opinion about a school's curriculum. This is from the New York Post, January 31st of this year. Quote, school boards have always attracted their share of controversies, disagreements over curriculum, bitter election fights, and personality clashes. But in recent months, as parents express their frustration over COVID lockdowns, mask mandates, and critical race theory, local school districts and federal law enforcement have upped the ante by monitoring parents, requesting undercover agents at school board meetings, and even arresting parents who attend board meetings to express dissent, mm. end of quote. Now, educators and those on such boards of education want to censor by the twofold blow of express and suppress. We get to express, you don't. The typical way to suppress censor, shut people up, is to ban or burn books. And the Nazis, of course, were famous for this. And I see some of that going on in today's world. There is a book burning scene in Acts that bears looking at. Listen to this. This is from Acts 19, verses 18 through 20. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices and a number of those who had practiced the magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. 
So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Right, a lot of money. From a book-burning ceremony. Uh, the Christian expectation is that there are some things we've got to avoid listening to or reading. Uh, years ago, I was reading a book entitled, I think, well, maybe I shouldn't say what the title was, but let's just say I was reading a book on demonology of some sort mm. by a person who really believed in it, meaning they practice it, not that they were Christian and said demons are real, but they believed dealing with demons was a good thing. And so I was interested in, in his, his thought processes. I tried once, twice, I think three times to read the book, and I got so, the best way to, to call it is spiritual depression. I gave up, and it was the book gave me the willies. So I got rid of it. Uh, another time I read a book on Paul by someone explaining the genius of Paul, which I thought I would get some insight from, and he took a totally different viewpoint, and it was just disgusting. Let's put it that way. And I got rid of that book. Uh, didn't burn them up, but I destroyed them. Um, they were mine. I bought them so I could do with them as I want. Um, I'm You're not self-censored. Self-censored. Yeah, I'm not crying out for other books to be burned or trying to look up all the first books that dealt with that demon problem and saying, "Oh, I got to get these books off out of the library." Um, some things must be left with the Lord. We can't do everything. What we are called to, though, is to censor ourselves. So that's what that was about. Now we all know the story. Let's go back to the beginning again. The serpent tempts Eve with a lie. And she and Adam entered death on that day, though the fruit of it isn't experienced for hundreds of years, 930 years in Adam's case. Listen to the lie again. Genesis 3, verses 4 through 5. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Yes, no self-censorship there, as in refusing to listen to the serpent or telling the serpent to be quiet. Um, so God says to them, says to Adam in particular, then Genesis three seventeen, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Yeah. Adam should have censored his wife. Adam should have censored himself. And because he didn't do that, that lie became the world's funeral. However, there is a much bigger question here. Here's a question. Ponder this. Why didn't the Lord God censor the serpent, the mm. snake, also known as Satan? He's a fount of evil lives. God knows this, and yet no censorship from him who wrote Thou Shall Not Lie. Take a moment and think about this. How do we understand this? Well, I'm sure there are several ways, but in this podcast, we're pursuing one. It's a test. Kind of test it. Can you censor yourself? Can you obey the word of God? It's kind of test that God does repeatedly to his people. First, hear this. We're going to have a passage from 2 Chronicles. It's about good King Hezekiah. And it's kind of a summary of how good he was. And he was one of the few righteous kings in the Old Testament. And this is 2 Chronicles 31, verses 20 and 21. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. And he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. Exactly. Except for one slip up. When he was on his deathbed, he cried out to God. God gave him more life. And his disease having been healed miraculously, the people of Babylon heard about it. And they sent envoys 
uh, to uh, give thanks and show their appreciation that he's recovered. And Hezekiah slipped up. He began to show these people things he should not have showed them. And so how does that work out? What was that? That too was a test. If we go one more chapter over, 2 Chronicles 32, listen to verse 31. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and know all that was in his heart. Now, there's something very frightening to consider. God left him to himself. Mm-hmm. If we wonder, why wasn't God around in the Garden of Eden? Because he left Adam and Eve to carry out his command, and they miserably failed. Satan is therefore not censored, think about it, but given free reign to tempt and taint. Well, we're getting somewhere with this. Just hang on. This is the way of God in the wilderness with Israel, testing them. Listen to the test he gave them. Deuteronomy 8, the first three verses. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Right. That's a verse that's quoted by Jesus in his temptation mm-hmm. of Satan. Um, later on, Deuteronomy talks about false prophets. Uh, they should be censored. In fact, they should be censored by capital punishment. Mm. Um, in other words, don't listen to these people. Make sure they are effectively censored. But what, in fact, comes to pass? Jeremiah 5, verses 30 and 31. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? Yeah, how are you going to get out of this when the end comes, when judgment comes? They love to listen to people they were supposed to censor. Clearly, self-censorship is inseparable from loving God. We don't need to see certain movies. And the older I get, the easier it is to skip seeing Mm. all kinds of movies. Mm. Or read the latest bestsellers uh, or whatever because of the fear of missing out. You know, one of the great dreads of this era. FOMO. FOMO. Uh, If we know such an indulgence is likely to diminish our spirit, we need to be practicing self-censorship. And to grow in the Lord, it seems to me through the years, we should be self-censoring more, not less, uh, clearly in this present age, which has gotten worse and worse. Our life as Christians is a battle for control of our body, what we see, listen to, where we go, etc. Listen to this, as Paul describes it in Romans 8, 12 through 14. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Put to death the deeds of the body. We have a war with ourselves. we got to censor certain things. Kill them so they won't have power over us. So we hear Jesus in the great temptation that he enters into, Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Uh, We hear Jesus refusing to listen to Satan. Jesus practices self-censorship. This way, and it's the great way to do it, by clearly telling the truth 
to refute the satanic propaganda. Listen to this, Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yes, as Israel was tempted in the wilderness, from the passage of Deuteronomy that Randy read earlier, so Jesus, the new Israel, the one person who would do it well and do it right, uh, was tempted. And he quotes those words uh, from Deuteronomy, from Moses. And so it goes with temptation two and three. Jesus speaks the truth, and that is that takes care of the need to self censor yourself. Just speak the truth. Don't give in to what Satan wants. Censoring ourselves for refusing to listen to lies is the necessary negative, and the positive is, is essential. Tell the truth, which God never wants censored. That's the good news. For example, listen to how the early apostles deal with this uh, in Acts 5, 27 through 29. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Yeah, we censured you. You're not supposed to be talking about this. Mm -hmm. And Peter says, Nope, we must tell the truth. God wants the truth told. We censor ourselves. We won't tell lies. We will tell the truth. And that's because Satan is behind all of this, uh, as we find in John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Right, and the people that Jesus was addressing there, the religious leaders of the day, are the same kind of people that the apostles in Acts 5 that Randy just read are dealing with. And so therefore, mm -hmm. it's all backed by Satan. So we're getting into this strange, perplexing providence of God where he uses Satan to accomplish his purposes, even though Satan is evil. This paradoxical arrangement involving Satan and God is proven, for instance, in the life of Job, where it's still, to this day, when I go back and read Job, and I've done it for 50 years, I'm, I'm just blown away. God gives Satan permission just basically to destroy everything except take Job's life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's... <laughs> Oh, it's, it's something. It's something. Yeah. Destroys his wealth, his health. Even his wife says, why don't you just curse God and drop dead? Um, and so, but we opened this podcast with that quote from Job at the end, where after Job's complaints, which he thought were quite legitimate, and well, who wouldn't, let's be honest, uh, when he meets God coming out of the storm, he says, well, I think I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, extraordinary. But God uses Satan to accomplish his purposes. Hard to believe. Um, in the New Testament, we have this passage, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 4 through 5, and it deals with a church member who is living immorally, and Paul addresses it. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Delivered to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And there's some controversy over that. Does that mean just severe discipline or is his life going to be taken? 
whatever it is, it's Satan who's doing it. You know, the man was living with his stepmother, and the church of Corinth, being uh, loving Christians, they tolerated that. Mm. And Paul says, you people are, have really missed it. You must deliver this church member over to Satan. But the good news is, his flesh will be destroyed, whatever that means, by Satan, but he himself on the day of the Lord, the great day when Jesus returns, he will be saved. But we have another one. Here we come to a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Now listen to this, because these people were saying things they shouldn't say, and this is how God censored them in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Once again, blasphemy, the words of the mouth, they need to be censored. And so they are handed over to Satan, which people cannot be a good thing. Their lives are going to go, we might proverbially say, through hell in order to get uh, themselves turned around. Mm. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm delivering them over to Satan. So they will be taught not to blaspheme. They will learn self-censorship. Who out there wants to learn self-censorship that way? Let me see a show of hands. Yeah, no, no Satan, who tempted these to sin, these two men to sin, is in fact used by God to reclaim them through Satan. Even Paul is so disciplined to avoid pride. So he'll be self-censoring. So he won't repeat what he heard in heaven. Listen to this passage from 2 Corinthians 12, 3 through 9. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses, though I should not wish to boast. I should not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was giving me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Messenger of Satan, literally an angel of Satan. Um, and again, he's in the realm of Satan, being tormented or something. We really, no one has ever dogmatically proved one way or the other what, in fact, this is about, the thorn of the flesh. Clearly, it was something that Paul wanted gone, gone, gone from his life because he prayed three times. And don't you know, those three prayers would be something to listen to if we right. could hear him. But what, why did God do this? It's a preemptive strike. It's very strange. He takes him up into paradise where he gets to hear these things and literally says, now you've heard it. Now, because you've anything. heard it, here's what's going to happen. Yeah. It's just extraordinary. Yeah. Listen again to, Randy, if you go back to verse 4. Can you read that? Yeah. Verse 4. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. He heard things you cannot be. In other words, self-censorship is required, Paul, once you get back to earth. Therefore, verse 6, read verse 6 again. 
though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. I refrain from boasting, because that's the law will lead me to some place where I would really be in trouble with the yeah. Lord. Then listen to this attempt to get saints to abandon their faith, again involving Satan. Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. This is one of the churches of Revelation. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Here again, the Lord using Satan to test his people. Satan tempts, God tests. There is a world of difference between the two. Satan, who would censor these saints by jailing them, ah, you're in jail, I've set you up. He is, in fact, being used by God to teach the lessons of how to overcome. Mm. This is a hard truth, people, but it's, it's in the Bible. So this is the test of faith, to accept God's way and his providential use of Satan. To avoid this, which in no way can be pleasant, so I think we want to avoid it, let us learn self-censorship. And there are times when God brings judgment, meaning death, upon certain individuals for not censoring themselves, they couldn't control their mouths. In the New Testament, we find the lives of Ananias and Sapphira being censored for their words and actions. Listen to this from Acts 5, Peter is talking, verses 1 through 4. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Lied to God. Wasn't practicing self-censorship. And, of course, uh, drops dead. And then his wife comes in later, and it's the same story, and she drops dead. Mm. And these two, as far as we can tell, are bona fide Christians. I'm not making judgment upon uh, you know, where they went one way or the other, but they were certainly people who were Christians. And this is the... Um, what happens. But keep that in mind because we're going to see Paul's take also in just a minute on some other Christians who died. And it was in order for God to save them, just like the guy in 1 Corinthians 5, to have his flesh destroyed by Satan so his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord. But before we leave that, let's take a look at politicians' mercy. In Acts 12, 20 through 23, listen to this. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended upon the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them, and the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. 
Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory, give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Right. He was supposed to speak the truth here. You know, censor the crowd, tell them to cease and desist from saying he's a God because there's only one God. He did not do that. And we don't know how culpable he was, but he must have been really guilty because it's immediate. The angel comes and strikes him down. He's struck down for his lying actions and he's dead. Now, lastly, some Corinthians, some at the Church of Corinthians, were dying because of their abuse of the Lord's Supper. Now, I know some folks say, well, this is just a symbol. And my response always is, read this passage from 1 Corinthians 11. It's more than just a symbol. Verses 27 through 32. Randy? Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. We are disciplined even by death mm. so we won't be condemned by the world. Extraordinary passage. So what do we learn from this? Let us learn to judge, that is to censor ourselves, as Paul says, our words and our actions, and so not be judged by God. Let us learn to self-censorship ourselves, but always speak the truth and to walk in it, and that is the Christian expectation. Well, thanks, Jim. That's a lot to think about. I'm sure you might have questions or comments about it. We'd love to hear those questions and comments from you, so please send your questions or comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's eventsandexpectations, all one word, at gmail.com. We'll be sure to use your question or comment where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. Until next time, keep looking up.